Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm so glad you are uh, with me today. I'm Bill Arnold, and we're back in our Red Word series. So if you've got a, a Red Letter Edition Bible, you'll see that if you turn it on, if it's on your computer, or maybe you've got a physical Bible, I hope that's the case, and the words are in red. Those are the words of Jesus, and that's what we want to be talking about. We've been doing this for months and months and months, and I love it. And every time there's teaching that's happening, I always walk away with a notebook that's filled with great uh, teaching, and, and today is going to be no exception. Uh, Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest. We're going to talk about John chapter 15 today. I'm looking forward to that. Pat uh, is the lead pastor at Sailorville Church in Des Moines, Iowa. He's been there for a while, since 1998, and uh, we're just glad to have him back on the program. Pat, welcome back. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you. And I love this idea. Was this your concept? Did you come up with this idea? I did come up with it uh, as a series idea. We're going to talk about the words that Jesus spoke, his teaching. So the, the whole red letter edition thing is is precious to me because when I became a Christian in the early 80s, red letter Bibles were very, very popular. Cool. And they're not so popular now, but I kind of wish they were. I mean, the idea was all the, all scriptures inspired by God, and we get that. But there's something very precious about the words of Jesus, and I think this is a neat idea. I agree. And when I hear Christians talk, and they're you know, a lot of Christians are obsessed about Paul and Paul's teachings, and I I think, well, well yeah, I love Paul and wrote 13 books in the New Testament, but I want to focus exclusively on the the words that Jesus spoke, and I thought that would be a great series and. So far, I've had a blast doing it, and I've learned a lot, and I'm, I love John 15, so I can't wait to dig in. <laughs> well, yeah, and really, I just it's just that very first one, the very first, those eight verses, which I, I think if I were to, if you were to ask me, what were the first uh, several verses you memorized when you became a Christian? And I, I, memorization has always been very precious to me, but I think the passages in John chapter uh, 15, especially verse five, uh, were one of the very first verses I ever memorized. I mean, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I think the whole concept of uh, the vine, our vine dresser and us, the branches is a, is something I want to keep coming back to because it's, it's all about what it means to bear fruit in the Christian life and giving glory to God. Yeah. That's going to be a great topic, uh, Pat. I'm looking forward to, to it. Um, and I'd like to start, if I can, by maybe just reading the first four verses. Does that That'd be like great. A, sound like a plan? That'd be great. All right. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that will it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
this remain and abide term, terms are just wonderful, aren't they? Yeah, in fact, you're going to find that term 11 times in this chapter alone. John uses it 40 times. So it's a favorite term. It literally means to abide under or to, to remain under. And that becomes a very important teaching point here as well. Mm-hmm. And Jesus claims to be the true vine. How do you understand that? Well, he's the true vine. Of course, whenever you have a, you know, a, a modifier to to a, a noun like this, it, it it, it means if there's a, if, if he's the true vine, that means that there's a false vine, right? Yeah. I mean, my mind immediately goes what Paul, Paul says when he says, fight the good fight. Uh, I think a lot of Christians fight bad fights. Uh, I think a lot of people and even Christians are tempted to abide in other vines that, uh, you know, obviously will give them some sustenance, but not the kind that God wants to give. Jesus, the person of Christ, is our true vine. And I, this is a little background, I think, Bill, would be important here. I, I don't think everyone, because this passage is so popular, and, and rightly so, we don't often think about the context of this passage if you think about it, in John 15 is after the Last Supper and before the cross. This is literally hours, maybe even an hour or two before he's arrested. And and here's Jesus, who has to be, at least in his humanness, he had to be somewhat preoccupied with what was about to take place. And yet, what is he doing? He's still loving on his disciples. And teaching them, I'm just, it's startling to yeah. me, to be honest. And uh, the other thing I think is, I think to, I think our listeners need to envision the moment, if possible, best you know how, envision Jesus making his way to what eventually would be the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays. And, uh, but in, the, in that course between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, he comes by a vineyard and Jesus did what you and I do as, as fathers. And what I think every Christian should try to learn to do is just take the normal things of life and use them as illustrations for knowing, walking with God, and in this case, abiding with Jesus. I think that's what Jesus did. I think he came by a vineyard. I think there were probably, it was nighttime. So there were fires going that mm-hmm. would keep the grain. From getting too cold and uh, there's even a reference to fire later on and just ha- sort of picture him walking by a vineyard with his disciples at night and he sees this as a perfect illustration for abiding in him yeah and let's just remind listeners too that we in john chapter 15 we are at i believe the last of the uh Jesus's seven I am's statements. Yeah, yep, so this right. is this is the, the the last of the seven that I am the true vine. And Pat, do I understand it correctly that the that the, a vine um, imagery is an Old Testament um, symbol for Israel? Yeah, it very much is. In okay. fact, uh, Israel Israel uh, was looked upon as a vine. Isaiah chapter five talks about that, and during. In fact, even during the intertestamental period, the during the Maccabees, the period of the Maccabees, 
they actually struck a coin with a, with a grapevine. So uh, it's always been symptomatic of, of Israel. And of course, Israel had been a, an unfaithful vine and was constantly, and here's the point, they were constantly re relying on false vines for strength, their idols, other nations. And that's why you have that modifier, I am the true vine. And, you know, um, I don't know about you. We, I grew up in, uh, I, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from uh, Waterloo, Iowa, and uh, sort of a working town. I was a, I was a city boy. I wasn't a country boy. But we had a grapevine in the back of our house and, um, and, you know, but nobody ever tended to it. Uh, and <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I love the grapes. I love Concord grapes, but they are always really itsy bitsy. And, uh, and uh, as the years went by, the grapes got fewer and fewer. Uh, and I'll, before we moved away from there, I'm not sure there were any grapes on the vine. There were a lot of leaves, but there was no fruit. Uh, and I think the reason I'm almost certain of it now, looking back, is because nobody ever tended to them. They were sort of left to themselves. And uh, I think that's very, uh, that's, that's something to contemplate here. Because uh, for, for vines to grow grapes, they must be tended to. The vine dresser has to do his work. He has to put the knife, so to speak, mm -hmm. to the vine. And uh, this is not something we like to, this kind of ruins some of the romance of this passage, to be, to be honest, uh, because if you've ever seen a, a, a vineyard uh, that has been uh, completely pruned, it's not a pretty sight, uh, but it, they are the kind of vineyards that end up producing the greatest fruit. Mm -hmm. And I think that verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 15 in the book of John, verse two, he cuts off every branch in me mm. that bears no fruit. Of course, I think when Christians hear that, they start to get real nervous. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, yes, they do. But, you know, let's, 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 uh, let's look at the players and let's come back to that. Cause that's a very important point And you just went right for it, Bill. So let's look at the players. Let's uh, there's a, and the goal here and the Avenue, the players are the vine that we've, you've already pointed that out, Bill. That's Jesus. He's the true vine. Yep. You, uh, the other is the vine dresser, that's Father God, and he comes right out and says that in the very first verse. And then the goal, and, and, and he, used, he speaks of this goal eight times in this chapter, and the goal is fruit. I mean, I don't think our readers, our listeners, uh, students of the Bible, you, you don't run away from this. This is the goal. The goal is fruit. Uh, you know, this is how we glorify God, by bearing fruit. And the avenue by which we do that, and that's the one you just referred to very quickly and early on, is abiding, uh, which happens 11 times in this chapter. So that's the avenue for bearing fruit is abiding. And so to the verse that you just referenced, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Uh, so, Bill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back at you. Uh, because you just said this this makes people nervous uh explain a little bit i think i know where you're going on this so uh what do you what do you think people think when they read something like this well i'm, I'm going to give myself 90 seconds to uh think about it because we're <laughs> perfectly uh at break time so we're going to come back with that uh, answer that i'm going to generate in the next 90 seconds uh when we come back uh pastor pat Numbers is my guest we're talking about 
John chapter 15 today, so get your Bibles out, and we're in our Red Word series, The Words of Jesus, and we will be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Pastor Pat Nemmers with me. We're in our Red Word series. We're in John chapter 15. If you just climbed in the car, you're going to love this teaching and this study. Um, Right before we went to break, Pat asked me a question, which is definitely a violation of radio where the guests ask the host a question. Might even, might even be a violation of the Geneva Convention. I don't know what all the rules are, but um, he was asking me about in chapter, um, chapter 15, verse 2 of John, that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And uh, that, of course, makes Christians nervous uh, and my understanding, and I've done some study with another guest of mine, Jeff Verdorn, who says the, the Greek word is for cuts off is aro, A-I-R-O, which is also means to pick up and to lift up. And if that vine, if that vine is not producing, the, the gardener, the pruner will come along and, and pick that up and, and prune it and graft it back into the vine so it can be more productive. Wow, just take all my thunder away, why don't you, Bill? Okay? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you asked. <laughs> you asked, and I got lucky. <laughs> I did. You did great. And if I may, if, you, if you'll indulge me, allow me to enhance it just a little bit. Oh, please. So, so a, a couple of things I think is important for students of the Bible. And, and you, you said earlier on, you know, people read this and sometimes they get nervous. And that's true. I mean, I remember as a brand new Christian, I remember somebody challenging me who had a position that after becoming a Christian, you could lose your salvation. And they love to point to this because they said to every branch in me that does uh, not bear fruit, he, he, you know, he, he takes away. And that's that Greek word you just referred to. Yep. But a couple of things that should be noted here. It is every branch in me. I mean, in other words, Jesus is talking about those who know him. That, that's where it gets scary. And this is why some people think you can maybe lose your salvation. I don't believe that's teaching that. And by the way, here's a little, uh, a little Bible study principle I like to teach people that all, and it is this, always interpret difficult passages in the light of the clearer ones. In other words, don't go to some obscure passage and build your doctrine on it. Now, this isn't obscure, but if you take it out of its context, it can be very obscure. I do think that Jesus is talking about those who know him because he clearly says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So now the question is, what does that mean to be taken away? Because that Greek word can mean take away and it can mean lift up or mm -hmm. pick up, as, as you well pointed out. It means both. And and I think this is this is really important. I think he means both. I mean, Jesus in John's gospel, there are a number of passages that have yeah, we're just going to call it what it is, double meanings. Uh, so vineyard keepers tell us uh, that new branches have a tendency to grow along the ground. This is what you were kind of referring to. They get dirty, they get muddy, they, they can get mildew, and then they, they can in infect and you know cause 
problem to the rest of the, the vine. The result is sickness. They're useless. And rather than if, if the vine dresser catches it in time, rather than just cut them off or take them away, they'll get a bucket of water. Literally, they'll lift up, they'll wash those branches up and set them in a place that they'll receive sun and air and they'll be able to grow. And that's what you're talking about. And that is it. That that makes that's a beautiful picture of God, is it not? We're down in the mud. We're not bearing fruit, and <laughs> he doesn't. Come, yeah, he doesn't just come in with a hatchet or a knife. He 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 lovingly picks us up and and he washes us off. And I think that's the meaning of the next verse. You are already look at the next word. You are already clean. Isn't that an interesting word he uses? Yeah. Because of the word, I I think Jesus has that vine dresser in mind. What he does there. So it's a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, on the other hand, you know, the word, the word uh, can also mean to take away. And, and I think the double meaning here is there is a prerogative of God, and he alone, being sovereign, has this prerogative. Because remember we said early on, the goal of this whole business is fruit, right? I mean, if, if, of, I, I, my mind went to uh, Matthew 21. You remember when Jesus, again, during the last week of his life, he, 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 it's, Matthew tells us that he comes up on a tree. He's expecting to find fruit on a fig tree. Remember that story? I do, yeah. It's very leafy, but there is no fruit. And what is, you remember what he did, Bill? Mm-hmm. He, he condemned it. Yeah. And he condemned it, it withered. That's, a, you know, and now he does tell us later, you know, he says, this is a, this is an illustration of you pray, you can move mountains and this and that, but there's something else there. And that is this, God expects fruit from his children. And if we don't bear fruit, his, his divine prerogative is to say enough. And I think every follower of Jesus should think about this. We sort of are inviting we are, I mean, we all get disciplined because if we're children, we're going to be disciplined, but we're inviting the discipline when we refuse to bear fruit. So I think there's, there's a double meaning with it. I think it means to take away and I think it means to pick up. Yeah, so good. Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest. We are in the book of John chapter 15, if you just joined us. And uh, that is such a great teaching, uh, Pat. I appreciate that so much. And I know that there's Christians that feel that I hope I'm not cut off and thrown away. And I think what they are thinking is I don't want to lose my salvation. Yeah. And I, it, it's clearly not in the Bible. Again, remember that principle always, always interpret dif, uh, difficult passages in the light of the clear ones. The Bible couldn't make it clear in John, John's gospel, like no other gospel, uh, uh, you know, uh, puts an exclamation mark around our eternal salvation and we write from john three sixteen. i always ask people how long is everlasting <laughs> well it's everlasting life it's not until we sin so much that we lose it and jesus said in john chapter 10 earlier uh my sheep hear my voice i know them and they follow me and i give them eternal life and they shall never perish in fact the greek in that passage is may literally they shall never ever perish mm-hmm. as if never wasn't as if never wasn't enough but yet there are warnings i don't think christians should be um uh smug about the beautiful doctrine of of uh the perseverance of the saints or security of the believer eternal security however you like to coin it 
we should never get smug because I, and I think this passage has a warning to it. Uh, your loving father wants to pick you up, wash you up and nurture you. So you bear fruit. But if you refuse his divine prerogative, uh, is, and, uh, option is to take you away. Now, by taking you away, the irony is it's a reward. You get to go to heaven, but you're no more used to him on earth. That's a pretty strong thing. In fact, that's why the rest, the next part of it says, if you look at the end of verse two, he says, and every branch that bears fruit, he says, voila, you're doing great. Keep going. Is that what it says? No, he prunes. He prunes it. So that's, that's powerful. I, I think every follower of Jesus needs, needs to consider this. If you want to bear fruit, face this reality. The road may be painful. And, you know, I don't know who said it. Somebody said God can't greatly use a man until he greatly crushes him. I think there's an element of truth to that. I agree. But then again, you know, and after all, grapes are only appreciated when they're crushed. And, uh, you know, so at the bottom line, I think is this. In this passage, you and I are likened to branches. And the bottom line is that branches that do well are going to get the knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Pat, uh, are you done with your th- with your thought? No, keep going. No, you you can. Yeah, I've got other things to share, but I'm I'm just listening right yeah. now. I'd love to have you fun. Well, I was thinking about ambitious type A people that want to go produce fruit, and let's just look at an apple tree for example, and look at the branches, and the branches are the ones that produce the fruit, um, and I think we're we're fruit hangers. God produces fruit through us because you can't mm-hmm. go out and say, I'm going to produce fruit, but that's up to God. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the whole teaching here is that you're not going to produce fruit unless you're connected to God in an abiding kind of way. Right. And, and, but then some people might think, you know, they may think Bill, well, you know, I'm abiding with God. Uh, I, um, I read my Bible daily and that's good. That's I think that's necessary. In fact, I love what he says in the third verse. You're already clean because of the word. I mean, the word of God doesn't just have promise. It has pumice. <laughs> I, I mean, like it, it cleanses. And so, uh, and, and so someone says, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm praying. I'm fellowshipping with Christians. I, I'm serving the Lord in some capacity. I'm giving my monies. And all of these things are are um, are values that we we hold very precious and they think then and the problem is they think if i do all those things that's going to cause me to avoid uh, all the woes that other people have mm-hmm. that's why this passage is so vital to the student of the bible because because here um again i said bottom line is if, if you're going to do well as a branch you're going to get the knife yeah and you know a grapevine's health is directly proportionate to pruning. Yeah. That's that's Pat, the teaching here. Let, let's pick this up after the break. Pat Nevers is my guest. We're in John chapter 15. Get your Bibles out. We'll be right back with the Red Word series. Hi, this is Bill. 
I thought this interview was so good, I wanted it's you to hear it again. So enjoy. With Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just climbed in your car, I'm talking to Pastor Pat Nemers, and we're in our Red Word uh, study, and we're in John chapter 15. And Pat, I feel like we could repeat everything we said in the first half hour all over again, because it's so good. Mm. Thanks, Bill. Well, it's a great passage, isn't it? And just to kind of bring us up to speed, it's, it, again, I'll read it from the ESV says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, these are branches that know Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he takes away or picks up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may, or in order that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And that's, uh, you actually, we'll, we'll stop there because this is, we envisioned again Jesus leaving the, uh, uh, the Last Supper on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He crosses a vineyard with his disciples and he takes it as an opportunity to teach that he is the true vine, his father's the vine dresser, and we are the branches, and it's, it's God's desire that we bear fruit. And the process of so doing so, that is, is abiding in him. And where we left off was the pruning. And I think it's, I, I have to tell you, as we get into this, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I had the joy of leading a couple to Christ. They became dear friends. We actually traveled the world with them. One of their sons became... Uh, actually uh bought a vineyard actually he he created the vineyard there was no vineyard he created it up in uh the uh, the northwest part of our state and uh a number of a couple of years ago my friend said my son has to harvest the grapes you we got to go can you can you come with us and help so my wife and i we jumped in the car and we went there and and it was a blast now it was hard work but i was just i was absolutely stunned by how large these clusters of grapes i'd never seen anything so large in my life and uh and but it none of that would have taken place if there wasn't some significant and let's just say serious pruning that had taken place really at this time of year in the spring of that year and so we kind of left off where the scripture says in in verse um to that the branches that bear fruit he prunes he doesn't just say hey voila you're doing great he actually prunes and pruning is a is really almost a draconian looking process i mean it, it's drastic there's snipping there's cutting there's pinching there's pulling there's thinning there's topping and it, at the end of the day it looks it, they really look horrible it, it, it looks like it's a waste in fact if a vine dresser, remember in this case, our heavenly father is our vine dresser. If the vine dresser has done his job well, there's very little left but the vine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and so somebody, somebody could be thinking, well, wow, this is, I mean, you know, this is this God whacking away at my life. I got to thinking about this, Bill, and I thought, if Jesus is the vine, and he tells us he is, Whatever Father God does to us in cutting, whatever he's cutting away from us, lopping off of us, is so that Jesus might be seen better <laughs> in us, right? Mm -hmm. So that 
he might be seen. I mean, isn't it? Isn't when what when someone says what does fruit looks like look like? I, I think if my understanding is correct, it looks a lot like Jesus. So that's why I think we have to be willing to be put under the knife, so to speak. And all of us who walk with Jesus know that whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I'm thinking of the word pruning, uh, what other words come to mind? Uh, One is kind of laid bare. Because if you get yes. pruned well, like you said, it appears that there's almost nothing left except the vine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And all of it is so that, again, remember the goal is that we bear fruit. So God wants us to bear fruit. And if you really look at the entire uh, study of John 15, he wants us to bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Uh, and if that's going to be the case, we have to be willing to endure uh, some of our heavenly father's discipline to make, you know, for that to happen, you know, for me, uh, and I, you know, you and I, you've had me on this product on, on your broadcast, other broadcast, and this is my shameless plug moment. I wrote the book retractions and, uh, in that book retractions, I talk about, um, a number of things in my life that, you know, that God had, has used to prune me. Uh, sometimes he prunes us because of our sins, all right? I mean, we're going to get disciplined if we disobey him. And sometimes it's just because our character, we're lying in the mud, so to speak. Our character in some areas of our life isn't what it needs to be. And um, I never thought about this, but when my, when God took my first wife out of this world, suddenly, unexpectedly, through a heart, a heart attack, um, I had seven children, Bill. They were ages 14 down to one. And in fact, our one-year-old had just been weaned from his mother a week earlier. So um, my world was turned upside down, literally in a heartbeat. And when that happened, uh, was I crushed? Yes. Was I cut? Yes. Was I broken? Uh, Yes. Was I laid bare, as you mentioned? Yes, I was. Uh, And at the time, I didn't see it, but it but as the months went by, I began to realize that my loving father was exposing some real character weaknesses in my life. Uh, I had, and I'll just name it. One was intolerance. I was a very intolerant individual. I wouldn't have, if you had asked me, we were t- you and I were talking, I wouldn't have deemed myself as intolerant, but I was. I, I just, I was, uh, I had some, some, some maybe some angry preaching in me in fact i've had people come to me years later saying i heard you earlier on when you preached you're a different person my first thought was i hope so <laughs> but uh but the truth is i think when our father prunes us he does it in love and and if you think about it, i think it's important for our listeners to hear this i think it was warren wearsby who said god is never so near his children than when he's pruning them Think about that. I like that. He's never so near to us because he's holding us. He's picking us up. He's washing us. And in some cases, he just has to, he has to cut some bad stuff out of our life. So this beautiful passage of scripture, and it is beautiful. 
is not as romantic as many Christians make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Pat, I, I know because we've talked before and I know your heart, I also just want you to explain to our listeners that God didn't take your, your wife to teach you something. You were going to learn something as a result of God's sovereign plan in life, but he wasn't saying, well, I got to teach Pat something, so this will get his attention. I'll take his wife. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, this wasn't a punishment. Not of course. Uh, and because, because of Romans 8, 8 verse 1 says, uh, you know, that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and we rejoice in that. Uh, but in his divine plan, he's, I mean, he, so let's just use, let's look at, let's look at the analogy that's right in front of us. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit, right? Okay. That's, that's all in the passage here. Okay. So um, I was already bearing fruit. Uh, the, the church uh, that I pastored was a little country church. It had quadrupled in size. I like to say that because the first week there's only 27 people. So it's not like quadrupled. It's not like uh-huh. I had a mega church. But, but, you know, in the country church, that was a great big deal. Things were happening. We built a new facility. Things were, I was bearing fruit. But uh, I think, remember, our, our Heavenly Father wants us to, to not just have fruit, but uh, more fruit and eventually much fruit. And so after my wife died, uh, I, had, I had actually met another a, a widow with my first wife. We met her together a couple of years earlier. <clears throat> We had mutual friends and all of this. And um, so I was just really um, fascinated by how this widow with three kids was doing. And and when my wife died, uh, I, I had a lot of, uh, let's just say this, I had a lot of opportunities to go a lot of different directions by way of romance and marriage and things like that. Uh, I want to be careful when I say that. I just, I'm just, I was sort of a novelty. I had seven kids. I was still pretty young. I was in my 30s. But I had this woman that I had met three years ago on my mind, and God would bring us together. And in so doing, he, he, he brought us together. We would get married, my wife, Marilyn, and I. And she had three kids. I had seven. We had 10. That's how we got 10 out of the deal. But without getting into all the details, uh, the, our coming together caused enough uh, stirring let's just say in our lives spiritually that god after 12 years moved us from this little country church and took us down into a bigger city uh des moines iowa and uh and that is where god has allowed us by his grace and kindness to bear more fruit uh uh, to uh see many more people come to jesus and in fact bill if i if, if if you'll indulge me just on sunday night we laid hands on our very own youngest son as the next church planter in the Engage Network. That's a network we created 18 years ago. We just were in the process of planting our seventh church. Wow. And a church. So, yeah. So the church that I came to originally in Des Moines that had 300 people now has a network of over four, almost 5,000 people. Hmm. And, uh, and, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people having come to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I'm super humbled by the whole thing. But I think that's sort of illustrative of what Jesus is saying here. He wants us to bear fruit, but not just fruit. He's going to have to cut us. He's going to have to prune us. He's going to have to lift us up. He's going to have to cleanse us so that we'll bear more fruit and eventually much fruit. Yeah. 
Wow, what a great story, Pat. I love I love hearing that. And when when you talk about bearing fruit and reading this passage in John chapter 15, which is where we are, verses 1 uh, through 4, when you hear about bearing fruit, now you're a pastor who's planted churches and grown the congregation to four or 5,000 plus people. What about the person that got saved six month, months ago and they go, now, now what am I supposed to do and what is bearing fruit going to look like in my life? How am I going to know I'm bearing fruit? What, is it, what does it mean? Do I have to become a, a professional uh, Christian? Do I have to have a ministry? What does bearing fruit look like? Yeah, that's it. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's take it back to that. Just the, just the normal young man, young woman, old man, old woman who has come to trust Jesus as Savior. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, the, the, the avenue here is to abide in Jesus or to remain close to him, be it, you know, connected to him. So I think it's important that our listener, if they are a brand new Christian, they, you have placed your faith in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then you need to be daily seeking him, daily reading his word, because that is where our sustenance is. Remember, he says in verse three, you're already clean because of the word. Now, the word doesn't just have promise, it has pumice. It cleans us, okay? So I need to be... <laughs> I like that. Writing that down. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, it, it's, you know, I, you know what they say, you know, I'm the blind, even the blind squirrel will find an acorn once in a while. I kind of like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but that, you need to be in the Word. You need to be with fellow Christians. And the best place to find fellow Christians is a church. And uh, not just any church. There are many churches out there. Your church should be a church that tells that believes the Bible, preaches the Bible, and tells people that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for our sins, and that the only way to God is through Jesus, who himself said just the chapter before this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And I would find a church like that. I would find, uh, that's where you'll find friendships, and, uh, and then you got to serve the Lord. You got to start doing something with what you're learning. Uh, that's how we bear fruit. We, we respond to the teaching of truth that comes our way through obedience. I mean, was it Charles Stanley who just went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, great, the great Charles Stanley was very famous for saying, obey God and leave the consequences to him. I love that line. I think it's what every Christian should adopt as a philosophy of life. Obey God. And in, in that case, in this, in this scenario, it's abiding in Jesus. Uh, leave the consequences to God, which means he may do all kinds of things. He may just, he may just launch you into all kinds of opportunities. And I pray he does, mm-hmm. but either, but just be obedient in the normal things of life. And that's really important. Uh, Bill, do you remember the story of, of uh, Brother Lawrence? He was uh, oh yeah. Okay, so Brother Lawrence, a famous famous story. He here is this this uh, this this man. I think his name was Nicholas Herman. He was a he was a kind of a peasant. He was a he worked in the he worked in a kitchen. He he literally worked in the kitchen, but he was a passionate follower of Jesus, and he made famous the statement, "I turned the cake." that is frying on the pan for love of him. Mm, I love that. Oh boy, is that good? All right. That is so good because it's the normal, ordinary things of life 
by which we can honor and glorify God. And when we do that, we will bear fruit. Yeah. All right, Pat, let me take a break. We'll be right back with Pastor Pat Nemers. We're in the Red Word series. We've been talking about John chapter 15. We haven't gotten too far. We're through four verses, so maybe five. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. We are studying John chapter 15. Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest. And Pat, when we talk about fruit, and this is a question that I've, I want to talk about. In, when we produce, when we're part of producing fruit through the Holy Spirit, what what qualifies as fruit? Do I have to be declaring the gospel in order to produce fruit through the Holy Spirit? Or if my neighbor's garbage can gets knocked over and I pick it up, am I walking away going, hey, I just produced some fruit by doing a, <laughs> by doing a good deed? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with some of the attitudes that we portray in the process of some of those things. But you know, thankfully, we don't have to, we, we, we the, the Bible itself tells, uh, gives us that answer. And, you know, whenever I disciple new Christians, the very first verse I give them is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The second verse I give them is the first line in Romans 4, verse 3, which says, what does the scripture say? I love that. What does the scripture say? That's the first thing we should ask ourselves. And to that question... Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, many of your listeners have memorized it, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So I would, I would, put that template over whatever you're doing with the right motivation. If, if, if what you're doing is out of love, like brother Lawrence, you're bearing fruit. If you're doing it within the joy of the Lord and not just because you have happy circumstances, you're going to bear fruit. If you can exhibit peace in the midst of your trial, you're bearing fruit and on and on. I think that's the template. Uh, Galatians five twenty two. bill. I think that's the best way to, to, best we know how, determine whether we're bearing fruit. Well, I appreciate that, Pat, because I think it's important for believers to understand how important your heart is and how important um, you, your your actions are. Uh, God does yeah. call us to action, and, and it's not something we feel like we should do. It's something we get to do, something we should want to do. Yeah. And I think, because I know our time is almost up, I want to just, I want to just, I do want to get a couple of thoughts in here for listeners, especially if they're hurting, you know, you're wondering what God is up to. Sometimes we don't see God. Sometimes we kind of wonder, where are you, Lord? I mean, I don't know if you've been there. I think I may have been tempted to be there at one time. Um, But just a couple of thoughts uh, I'd like to share. One is, I've already shared it, and that is this, God is, is never more careful with us than when he's lifting us up think mm. about that when you're if you're hurting god is near okay he's 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 careful with you he's 
He's being gentle with you. And as I already said earlier, God is never more closer to us than when he's pruning us. So be thankful for that. I, I love how Job puts it. Remember, you know, the song, uh, 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 Waymaker, very popular song last few years. My favorite part of that psalm or that song, Bill, is the refrain toward the end where it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. And what I, I every time, every time I hear that, I want to just stand up and, and shout hallelujah. That's true because that's how Job put it in Job uh, 23, verse 80 said, he, here's Job. He's in a funk. He's really low. He's been pruned. And he says, look, I look forward, but he's not there. I go backward. I cannot perceive him. And then verse nine says, when he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him, but he knows the way that I take him. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. What a lot of people miss there, Bill, is verse nine in, in Job 23, where it says, when he works on the left hand. In other words, even though Job couldn't see or perceive God, yet he didn't deny that God was still working in his life. And I want your listeners to know that no matter how difficult it is, your loving vine dresser is still working in your life. Boy, that almost chokes me up, Pat. Honestly. Yeah, Rosie and I are almost crying right now in the studio. It's just <laughs> so beautiful. Maybe it's something well, it's we so both beautiful. just needed to hear today. Well, I need to hear that, and I'm glad that you did as well. Yeah. I hope our listeners could be encouraged by that, because I know we all get into a funk from time to time, but don't ever think we don't serve a deistic God who just winds us up and walks away. He is always with us. And when Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, what he literally meant was, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Now we've we've covered not a not a ton of, of verses. There's so much. There's so much in this chapter, which I love. But um, I, should I apologize? Should we just kind of plowed through this, or can we do this another time? No, no. I think we we should probably do part two, um, because there's so much left in John 15. But I know the part we've covered today has been exceptional, and I've gotten so much out of it. And we're not done yet, but we got a couple more minutes. But um, okay. Any concluding thoughts on the on the first? Um, you know, eight verses. Well, I would like, yeah, I would. Here's a concluding thought. I, I uh, in his book, Malcolm Mudridge, who's been gone for some time, wrote a book called Jesus Rediscovered. And again, we're talking about the father's pruning. Here, here's what he said. He said, suppose you eliminated suffering. What a dreadful place the world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be the most ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendency of this unspeakable little creature, man, to feel overimportant and overpleased with himself would disappear. Mm. He's bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. <laughs> wow. I know that's a lot to drink in, but that's a powerful statement. There is power, beauty, and purpose in our suffering. And, but as Christians, we have to realize the compassionate Lord Jesus, our true vine and our wonderful heavenly father, the great vine dresser is, is never closer to us than when he's pruning us. Yeah. And when he does that, he does it, 
he does it in the most careful of ways. You know, even when you talked about picking somebody up, I, I've been involved when somebody fell and you have this concern of being so gentle and making sure you're not going to injure them even worse. Um, yeah. You know, you almost feel uh, insecure about how should I be picking this person up? Because, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not a medically trained person, but you just want to help people get back on their feet praying and hoping you're not adding more injury to what they just went through. A great illustration, Bill. That's a great illustration because you're right. When somebody falls down, you don't just grab them and yank them up. No. You do it in a very kind way. It's, that's, that's a powerful illustration of exactly what your Heavenly Father does when you fall down. He doesn't just grab us by the nap of the neck and straighten us back up. He does it in love. Anything he does, even cutting things out of our lives is done in love. Whatever God does, and even the things that hurt are done in love. That's what we need to remember. Yeah. All right, Pat Nemers, let's uh, do this again. Uh, Contact Rosie. Let's do part two of John chapter 15, because I know there's a lot more to cover, and I think we're going to get it covered next time you come on. Sounds great. That's the goal. All right. Thanks, Pat. Pat Nemers has been my guest. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.